You're listening to The Voice. Benvenuti a Leuven. Leuven, Jogos. Dabro pajawit Leuven. Bienvenue à Leuven. Willkommen in Leuven. Leuven에 오신 걸 환영합니다. Welcome in Leuven. This is The Voice on Radio. My name is Philip, and I'll be hosting this podcast for this afternoon. And to many people, maybe my voice will sound very familiar, and indeed, you are not wrong. Um, so, in my second year of university, I actually was part of The Voice. I was a, a full-time host, let's say, um, for all of these podcasts, all these weekly podcasts. And uh, here I am, you know, I found a very good opportunity to share something with everyone. And so, yeah, this is, a, a, I guess, a podcast in which will be a guest host. And of course, I have to mention many, many thanks to AFT, to Academics for Technology, that very kindly actually allowed us to record in their offices in Leuven. In any case, as you've probably seen from the poster, we're going to be talking about the Tech Invent program, an opportunity for pioneering your industry. But before we go on to all of the guests that I've got for today, we're going to be taking a listen to a song called Blind-Eyed by Ren and Sam Tompkins. So we'll be right back after the break. This ladder don't work, no. No flame to spark my goal. My Nike's less than dirt, oh. I've ended up treading on my own soul. on the left side but i try to live the right life my eyes wide and i strive to stop my demons gripping ripping from the inside this road is dark and i can't find the batteries for my flashlight i'm blind-eyed and i'm Drugs don't work The pain it takes control A bloodstained shirt I feel like I'm always being chased by the devil I tried to talk but I can't seem to get these spoken words right And I did And this life can be history right? Cut you like a flick knife Twist and make you sick right And I think maybe I'd be better off alone So I redirect the calls from my phone I learned so many lessons from depression But in essence I'm just wishing that these bad thoughts were gone
sometimes I bleed, sometimes I crawl, sometimes I slip, sometimes I fall, sometimes my back's up against the wall so hard that the whole building could fall, sometimes I bruise, sometimes I break, sometimes I'm true, sometimes I'm fake, sometimes I'm over for a moment when the forward to start opening and swallowing me for goodness sake, and I think I'm gonna break, cause the ache in this plate, I'm awake in a wall full of pain, see what man no cape, and I'm pressing the brakes, but the brakes they break, and I'm driving my universe into a leg, and the wait, wait at the world, don't wait, we make mistakes when it's all at stake, we cook our cake, we eat our cake, sometimes no time for double taste, but I choose the way life goes sometimes, but I don't wanna end up in the dark, be a rap on my trouble face down in the puzzle where the sun don't shine I'm coming to give him the back, I'm on the track and attack and I'm stacking up beats Like I did with this one, I'm packing and I'm not praying Oh Lord, take this pain away, away, away So, the song that you just heard is called Blind-Eyed by Ren and Sam Tompkins. Honestly, I hope everybody enjoyed it, and well, I've promised you guys some content, and that content is indeed talking about the Tech Invent program at Kaleven. And what better moment than now to introduce our first guest. His name is Simon, he is one of the founding members of Aether, and well, would you like to add anything to my introduction about yourself and what you do in general? Uh, yeah, of course. So first of all, thank you very much for uh, having me here. I'm really happy to be able to talk about either. Uh, it's the first time that uh, we do this this year, so every way to talk about it is, is always nice. Uh, I graduated last year from the Faculty of Engineering Science uh, with a Master in Mathematical Engineering. And then I was like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Am I going to start to work, find a job? I don't know. Uh, and then a friend of mine, who is one of the co-founders, Rumer, he came to me and he told me like, look, there's this uh, awesome idea of starting a CubeSat program. Do you want to join me? And I was like, definitely. I right. love space. I've always been inter interested in space. So it was uh, no doubt about it. And All just right. So it's a completely new team, right? Yeah, it's a new theme this year. All exactly. right. So could you tell us a little bit about, yeah, like why CubeSats, first of all? And <laughs> for those who are listening who maybe don't know what a CubeSat is, <laughs> What is a CubeSat? Why are they used? And yeah, in general, like why yeah. did you decide to found such a team? All right. Uh, so CubeSats, to explain it easily, are really just uh, very small satellites. They are uh, they exist of units, also called cubes, which are ten by ten by ten centimeters big. So oh, wow. that's quite small. I yeah. mean, it's comparable to a Rubik's cube or something. So you can easily hold it in your hand. Most of the CubeSat exists then of different units. So, for example, a three-unit CubeSat is very common. So you have uh, three uh, blocks of 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. And uh, the reason that they're so nice is, first of all, they're really cheap to build because they're so small. And they're very versatile. I mean, you can do a lot of different things and you don't have to wait for the next uh, big launch or big satellite to be launched to, to conduct any experiments. I mean, uh, electronics is going smaller each year, so you can actually already achieve a lot of cool stuff in such a, such a small, uh, small space. And on top of that, it's fairly easy to build for a space project which makes it very interesting for starting students or, or, or students as us. I mean, we're not space experts. We haven't <laughs> built a satellite before. So that's also something that makes it very interesting to, to build a student team around it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it would be nice indeed for K11 to have a, um, well, its own CubeSat. 
Mm-hmm. You have you have faculties like TU Delft, like exactly, uh, yeah. Southampton, for instance. You mm-hmm. also have CubeSats. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, indeed, it would be nice for for Kaylevin to also yeah have this approach. Um, yeah. So I actually wanted to ask you something mm-hmm. because I've done a bit of research about yeah aerospace in Kaylevin, mm-hmm. and so indeed, I mean, you have a few things, but they're more focused on flight. So exactly. you have a system called uh, KU Libri. I think mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. correctly. <laughs> Um, but essentially what it is, it's a drone without rotors per se, uh-huh. and it uses flapping wings to fly, essentially. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was wondering, like, with these kind of projects as well existing, mm-hmm. um, what is Aether's ultimate goal? Yeah. What does it try to do? What does it try to bring to k mm-hmm. that isn't already here? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. And when I finished my bachelor year, I, I really thought a long time of doing aerospace engineering at the Faculty of Engineering Science. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, it's like really focused on uh, flights and airplanes. And it was like not like the space rocket dream that you maybe are dreaming of or something. And so in general, I felt personally that there's some sort of lack of space community like where are all the space people that are interested in this um, i mean i know they're out there people love it so much and then it was actually rumor and vito so the two other co-founders who had like the same struggles and they both went on erasmus especially for that reason to get more courses about more uh, uh, aerospace focused topics so they dodged a little bit but they had the same the same uh, issue so the ultimate goal is actually to build some sort of space community that starts here in leuven where you have the cubesat project that's some sort of uh, um yeah main central uh, project but like a lot of other things will will be organized around it and then hopefully we can expand it to other universities or maybe just over the whole of belgium so the idea is to group like all space enthusiastic students uh yeah into one into one place what is the support that you're getting? Because mm-hmm. indeed in Belgium, you have quite a lot of aerospace startups. I mean, you have, for example, yeah, a lot of aerospace activity in Liège, for instance. Mm-hmm. So like, what is the response that you're getting from, such a, from creating such a startup? Ultimately? Yeah, so that's, uh, the response is very positive. So the thing is actually, I think a long time, especially in Flanders, I guess, uh, there is a lot of space knowledge, especially on like academic uh, point of view, the University of Leuven has a lot of research going on. The von Karman Institute is a very known research center as well. So there's a lot of knowledge, but it's like always brought back to like uh, f- uh, delivered to other countries or something. It's not; it doesn't really stay in house. Mm, yeah. And so actually, this year uh, the Flemish gov- government, uh, we had a meeting about it actually yesterday. It's like putting away new fundings, especially for new starting space projects, since they want to like boost the whole uh, space industry that's here in, in, in Flanders, since we have that much knowledge, but not actually so many companies or, 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 or projects around it. So in general, the, 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 the feedback is like really positive, like students doing things like this is, yeah, they, they're really excited about this. So that, that's really nice to, to hear. Yeah, obviously, I mean, it would be great to have a student-led team that works on something like this. Yeah. Um, and especially since I think that Kaylevin can indeed offer quite a lot of support mm-hmm. by itself. So I think there's a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'm going to going at. Mm-hmm. So turning back a little bit to your satellite that you're designing. Yeah. What kind of experiments 
uh, are you planning to have on on Aether, which is uh, mm -hmm. your satellite? So the ultimate goal uh, is actually to have uh, mainly biological experiments. So we talked to a couple of um, uh, biological scientists and they told us that the ideal mission for them is actually to, for example, have a couple of bacteria on the board of a CubeSat, then launch it and let it grow for a couple of months. So the, the CubeSat stays in orbit for a couple of months, but then also retrieve those bacteria since, yeah, most of it can only be analyzed in a lab or where you can have all the tools you need. Uh, so that's actually the ultimate goal, actually focus on scientific experiments that need to be analyzed back on Earth, which is quite a lot. <laughs> mm, right. So you have to you have to find a way to get them back to. Yeah, to Earth then. exactly. And today you can you can do this via the ISS. So you have to plan via the ISS where you then get uh, uh, something which is called crew time, which is very expensive. <laughs> and then you can get back um, uh, you can get your experiment back, but as I mentioned, it's very complicated, a lot of paperwork, it's really expensive. And so CubeSat is actually ideal since it has this versatility of, of like tuning every CubeSat in a different way, like how you want to do it for your experiments. So uh, I think it's a, a really good alternative platform for these scientific experiments. All right. Yeah, yeah, in indeed, indeed. <laughs> And actually, going a little bit to um, linking a little bit what we're talking about with Aether. Well, right now, what are you currently focused on mm -hmm. uh, as a team? What are you working on? Yeah, so um, I think in a team like this in general, it's always like a balance between doing really technical stuff and then everything else that comes uh, beside it, like marketing, recruiting new people, advertisement and so on. And since it's the first year, a lot of time went to this more like the recruiting aspect since the last thing we want to happen is that it dies in the first year. So we really wanted to give it a, a big boost from the first year. Um, uh, so we were a lot of focused uh, with that. So the couple of uh, past months was a lot of recruiting, recruiting new people. And now we're actually... Um, more focused on like uh, planning out uh, more in detail what needs to be done next year, like more concrete, like the design aspects, what are the priorities so that the, the team of next year can can uh, uh, can start with a clear image of, of what mm. they need to do. Yeah, I see, I see. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so I've heard that you're working right now on the re-entry, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So why did you consider this part the starting block for mm -hmm. for either? Mm -hmm. So the re-entry aspect is definitely the most challenging one. Going back to the atmosphere is really complicated and, and um, exciting, exciting uh, subject and very challenging. So we knew that this piece of technology is like the bottleneck of the total of the total package. So we knew we had to focus on this to make sure that this get the fastest development as possible, since the rest of the CubeSat can be fairly easy be designed with basic off-the-shelf components that you can get easily and stuff so that that's something that we we see more as like a plan uh, like a, a second priority whereas the first priority is definitely this heat shield just because it doesn't exist yet and the technology is very state-of-the-art so it needs the most focus um, for the entire uh, project mm. And I was curious, like, what is the difference between designing such a thing or for designing a mechanism that mm -hmm. is um, made for space versus mm. one that is made only to stay on Earth? Mm. What are the differences uh, between between the two? Yeah, so I think the most, the biggest difference is, I think, the margin of error. 
because once it's out there you cannot quickly go and fix it if something goes wrong so it really has to go all perfect um the, a lot of a lot of space projects uh end uh with just having no signal and then it's over i mean <laughs> so there's no no solution possible to to quickly fix something so the margin of error is really really difficult and then in general you you have to deal with like more extreme environments uh, as well as um, temperature wise as pressure wise so yeah always like the far spectrum of like <laughs> environments which you are dealing with and not like more easily calm atmosphere uh, here on earth mm, all right yeah and um, suppose a, a member, right, that would like mm -hmm. to join Aether mm -hmm. at, uh, I suppose you have intake interviews of some yeah. sorts. Yeah. So if you would ask you, like, what is the most challenging thing that you've worked on so far? Yeah. And how have you tried to tackle this problem? Mm -hmm. Like, more specifically, what would it be? Mm, like, which we worked on? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. that you're trying to, to, to solve right now? Uh, trying to solve right now, more specifically, I guess, definitely the heat shield. Uh, and then even more specifically, I would guess there are like so many different aspects of the heat shield that have to come together. Like, for instance, the material is very uh, important and this can maybe build a constraint on how it moves. So we are thinking of making the heat shield some sort of deployable device, since if the surface is bigger, it is better for the heat distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's an aspect we're looking at. And the most complicated part is that everything is connected and... And you have to move everything up together, so <laughs> it is that has to be like all synced. So once you know the material, then you can only start to look at how the heat shield is going to move. But maybe you don't even need that type of material since it's gonna move more easily or something. So it's like um, sometimes running in a circle. Like we need this, but then we need this, but then we need this again. So that's I think the most challenging part uh, of this uh, of this uh, heat shield. Have you tried something like I, I know there's like these deployable. I think they're called. De mm -hmm. I mean, deployable solar cells, I think, mm -hmm. that kind of use this origami technique to unfold. Yeah. Um, I mean, from what I'm thinking right now out loud is that it would be a bit tough because you would have a lot of mm -hmm. different pressures on the satellite. So mm -hmm. I don't know how it would work to mm -hmm. to deploy bit by bit. But would that be a consideration? Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I watched actually quite a lot of origami videos <laughs> <laughs> just for this reason since uh, I heard about it as well, like solar panels that uh, unfold in a certain um, pattern. And that's something really cool actually because there's some really interesting stuff that you can do with that. So that's definitely something that we can consider and like see if that there's some optimal way to um, have it unfold in a, in a bigger in a bigger area. All right. And finally, I would like to finish this interview since mm -hmm. we're a bit limited in time, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but for all those that are interested in joining either, yeah. what kind of profile are you looking for? So mm -hmm. what, what are the skills that really you would like a student to have? Mm -hmm. So uh, a space project is always very broad in, uh, in uh, uh, engineering skills. So yeah, first of all, maybe it's good to say it's mostly science and engineering that we're looking at. Uh, although since it's a project like management is definitely also something that's really important but in general science and engineering are really important and since 
there since it's really specific actually the CubeSat technology and the the space it's like if you have an engineering background and you're willing to learn and to read on everything and you have the the necessary electromechanics skills and the necessary mechanical knowledge background then uh, I think this is sufficient to to join our team and of course like just enthusiasm believing in the project I think is the main the main driver of everyone that is 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 contributing now so uh, that's of course really really important. And are you also looking for mm -hmm. people good at social media or yeah, advertising? Yeah, so, yeah, so that definitely like in, in a future future teams, I think uh, this will definitely be an open position that we will uh, um, set to one person that he can just focus on this because we, we also um, saw how much time it is and how much work goes into like the social media, the mails, the contact with uh, companies and stuff so that's always a difficult task that we kind of underestimated um yeah so that we want to to dedicate to one person in the in the coming years would be really nice all right and one last question mm -hmm. um so so obviously you're working with some organizations some institutes mm -hmm. um did anyone approach you or did you approach anyone that finally yeah accepted the offer to to <laughs> partner in a way yeah so nobody approached us <laughs> since we were really small <laughs> so it was really going out there and 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 uh, and um uh, talk to companies we mainly focused more on research institutes so we now have a collaboration with the von Kármán institute so one of the team members will do a research master next year uh, at the von Kármán institute focused on this heat shield technology which is really nice since they have so much in-house knowledge about it and then we just started a uh, partnership with uh, Bira, which is the Belgian Institute of Royal Ironomy, I think, or something. <laughs> and they will actually help us, like, um, contribute to the, uh, like, help us with building the CubeSat. And then they would like to attach some probes to our CubeSat, to the solar panels of our CubeSat, uh, so that they, they can do some measurements. So it's some sort of win-win situation. They can, like, uh, hop on board of our, of our platform and we get the in-house knowledge. Um, so I think those are the two biggest um, uh, partnerships that we have this year. And in the coming years, we will be more focusing on um, companies and maybe more on like funding-wise, real money instead of material or, or knowledge. All right. Yeah, thanks for, the, for all the answers. And um, honestly, I mean, thanks so much for coming, for accepting to, to come. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure, so uh, yeah. thanks. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It was really nice uh, talking to you. Yeah, all right. Well... The next song that you'll be hearing, we'll, we'll be going on a small break, uh, but the next song is called Parliament Hill by Smith & Burrows. So we'll be right back after the break. There's a warm rain, are you feeling alright? Well I know it ain't easy when you can't sleep at night. There's a band playing and they don't give you peace Well I know it ain't easy when the noises won't cease Put a little heart in this somehow Put a little heart in this somehow Rosalind, don't hurt yourself Another night caught under your spell Gotta find a little light from somewhere Gotta find a little light from somewhere Take a walk down Parliament Hill 6am and the world is still When the storm breaks I will take you to sea Where we used to tread lightly Where we were weak at the knees And well you owned me 
that China would smash We would topple together, break like pieces of glass Put a little heart in this somehow Put a little heart in this somehow Rosalind, don't hurt yourself Another night cold under your spell Gotta find a little light from somewhere Gotta find a little light from somewhere Take a walk down Parliament Hill 6am when the world is still If I knew then what I know now We were running on empty as the band takes its bow Get your head straight or get bent out of line Cause I'm missing the madness of the light that you shine oh. Put a little heart in this somehow Put a little heart in this somehow Rosalind, don't hurt yourself Another night cold under your spell Gotta find a little light from somewhere Gotta find a little light from somewhere Take a walk down Parliament Hill 6am and the world is still back this was Parliament Hill by Smith and Burroughs so well I guess this is the time to introduce our second guest let me just list a bit of the achievements of this team so first place at the Carrera Solar Atacama in Chile in 2018 first place at the Bridgestone World Solar Championship in 2019 and first place at the iLumen European Solar Challenge in 2020 well these are all the achievements of the Agoria Solar Team and yeah, again, what a better moment than now to introduce the next guest, Victor. How are you, Victor? Thank you. Uh, I'm fine. Did I, pr did I pronounce your, uh, your name correctly? Yeah, perfect. Really? Victor, yeah. All right. I, I, out of respect, out of politeness, I will not even try to pronounce your last name. It's um, uh, Verhaart. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, so, is there anything you would like to, to add to the introduction and maybe tell people who you are and what you do within the team? Uh, well, the introduction of our uh, achievements of the past year is well, already perfect. Um, me, myself, I'm, a, I'm still a master's student, so I'm in between my first and my second master year. Um, and I study computer science. Um, and well, yeah, I've, I've been in the, the solar project since July, and I will be until October. And I think that's a, a very short introduction. All right. And what do you do within the team, uh, Agoria? So I'm uh, the team manager. Um, that means uh, that I make sure that the team arrives uh, in the first place at the challenge, that the team works uh, closely together, um, make sure that every communication there uh, needs to be within the team, well, is able to happen. All right. And I mean, just out of curiosity, like, how does it work? Is it one team manager per year? And when did you start being a team manager for the team? So I started being a team manager from um, the beginning, so from July. 
and we recruit a team for every big challenge we participate in. Um, so we were recruited for the uh, Australian, uh, the World Solar Challenge in Australia for 2021. Um, unfortunately, that one got cancelled due to COVID, but we're working closely with the other teams to uh, prepare another challenge. Um, I can't uh, disclose any more about this yet, <laughs> but make sure to, uh, to follow our social media for updates. But yeah, so for every big challenge, we recruit a whole new team and each team has its uh, team manager, but also has its own uh, marketing department, mechanical uh, engineers, electrical engineers. Um, and we try to make every team self-sustaining. All right, so you're talking about recruitment. From what I've seen, the motto of Agoria Solar Team is invent, improve, inspire. And so regarding actually the last word, inspire, following your social media, I saw that you organized something called the Solar Olympiad in high schools. Uh, could you tell us some things about that? Yeah, that's actually an initiative that has started from the very first team. So that's almost more than 15 years by now. Um, and it's a competition between um, scholars from high school um, that happens each year, where the different um, schools need to prepare um, either a car with a small solar panel, which is a challenger class. Um, you can see it as a, as a bit of a downscale of the competition we're in right now. Or they can prepare um, a certain gadgets uh, powered by solar energy. And in this, they're, they're totally free to determine what they want to do. Um, this year, we saw some wonderful ex uh, examples like an electronic Monopoly game or poker game. Um, they had a project about cleaning water powered by, uh, by solar energy. So it's really great to see these scholars um, be that innovative and being able to participate in such a competition. Oh, so you, so you leave the students the freedom to, to not only work on a car, but also all of the other um, topics that you mentioned. Yeah. All right. And how is the enthusiasm in general about this, um, uh, yeah, this, this competition, I guess you could call it, or how, how would you call it? Yeah, in, well, in the basics, it's a competition. But it's more about being able to give these uh, scholars an opportunity to partake in such a, a project. Um, and we notice every time, well, this year, due to COVID, we went to each school to film um, the different projects. And each time these students have put so much effort into this project and it's great to see their enthusiasm. And are these part of a specific course at their high school or is it something that they do, um, yeah, an extracurricular activity? That uh, actually depends from school to school. So there are certain schools that include it in their course, um, but there's certainly also students who just do it on top of their schoolwork. Mm, all right. So turning back a little bit to Agoria Solar Team, um, what is your car designed to do? How, like, with what purpose did you design it? Did you make it? So, um, the Challenger class, which is the class we're in, is designed to transport one person um, as fast as possible over a fixed distance. Um, and that's really the, the core of the whole project. So, every decision we make is trying to uh, make sure the car arrives a bit faster than, well, the other teams, of course. And well, we can achieve this through this very important word, which is efficiency. Every de uh, decision is based on how we can we make it more efficient. Is it more aerodynamic? Is it um, a better motor? Is it a better battery with a higher capacity? Those are always in, a, in every decision we make, it's a main factor. Mm, all right. And actually, I think it links quite well with what you just said. Um, is most of your work innovation or is it just optimization? Well, it's a bit of both, especially if you look at the first teams, uh, the first solar cars you start in this project without really any experience. 
and you just start by taking existing technologies. You take an existing motor, um, you take some existing basic aerodynamic principles and you put together this first car. But then each time, each year, uh, we build a new solar car, we, well, on one hand, build further on this information you already have. Um, that's really optimizing often. But we also try to look for new technologies and try to invent this, this little, well, this innovation that might give us the edge over the other teams. Mm, yeah. So do you, do you collaborate with a lot of institutes in Belgium? Yeah. Well, depending on the different technology, we're in contact with, well, basically the, the leading edge um, in this specific sector. Um, that includes, well, for the battery motor, we're in contact with certain companies who help us uh, with the aerodynamic design. There are a lot of industries that come together in this project. That's and fantastic to see. Yeah, and do you restrict yourself, or well, restrict yourself, uh, yeah, maybe it's not the right way to put it, but do you only collaborate with Belgian companies, or do you also, for instance, would, like, do you also have partnerships with external companies outside of Belgium? Well, often we have good contacts within uh, Belgium who might put us into contact with an international supplier, for example. But seeing as we're participating in the, in the World Solar Challenge and we're really pushing our team to be uh, well, to remain world champions, often we also have to look into markets from um, other parts of the world. All right. And by the way, like, how does it feel to be part of a team that's world champion? Like, what is the what's the response from people? What's like, what's the recognition that you get as a team in, in Belgium, but also around the world, right? Yeah, well, at first, it's, uh, it's obviously a big pressure on our team, uh, but it's also what drives us to, uh, instead of trying to, to beat the Dutch, as they often used to say, <laughs> um, that we're now trying to prove that they have to beat the Belgian. Um, so it's quite some pressure, but it's also nice because you get recognized a lot. Um, you often hear, oh, the solar team, we've seen that uh, on TV last year, and well, it's fantastic being able to work on a project that I, that's recognized by other people. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I'm I'm also a student that's in uh, the Faculty of Engineering Technology in um, in Leuven here, and I mean, we're all really so proud of having you as a team and representing us internationally. I mean, it's uh, honestly it's incredible. So I have, I've also read that there's a team that also designs these solar cars in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken, and it's also part of the same team or. Like, can you tell me a little bit about what, what it is with this, this team in, in South Africa? Yeah, so last year, for the first time in our organization, we recruited a team that would actually optimize a current solar car. Because we noticed in a standard uh, project from um, designing a solar car, you have a lot of projects which you're not able to put time into. Um, you're not able to put time into both for designing it, producing it, and testing it. And that's why we started this uh, new team would actually improve the, an existing solar car. That's also a team that we uh, have now recruited for the next year as well to improve the car we're working on right now. Oh, all right. So they're always working on the car, on the previous car, basically. Yeah, but that also means that they're able to implement completely new projects. Mm, um, yeah. That's why the, the previous team was able to actually, for the first time, design our own uh, electronic motor. So all those right. are projects that often get pushed uh, to the side during... Uh, designing a new solar car and are able to take place um, in, uh, in this team uh, that works together to uh, South Africa. I see. So, so you said that this began last year, right? Yeah. Or is this is 2020, 2021 the first year in which it started um, existing? No. So uh, indeed last year. And then right now we're working uh, on a new solar car. All right. So it's the second, gener second generation, if you would put it that way. Yeah. All right. All right. And I mean, just out of curiosity, 
Do you get recognized in general with, for example, with your hoodie? I see you have an Agoria hoodie, uh, an Agoria mask as well. Um, I mean, for instance, when I see somebody from Agoria, I go and approach them and, you know, talk with them. Did that ever happen to you? Well, of course, in the past year, um, we didn't really have that much physical contact due to Corona. So it happened less, uh, but it does sometimes happen. Um, for example, if you're in the store and you hear someone say, oh, I know someone who is also in the team. Um, or I've seen it on TV, so it does uh, sometimes happen, and especially if we're uh, testing a solar car, say, um, on this domain and there are other people present, what they always come to look and uh, you have this small talk about what the project is all about, and that's, that's really fantastic that there's this overall interest in what is this solar car actually, is it just a car with a solar panel on or what's inside of it? Yeah, I mean, it fits very nicely with this rhetoric that we have in Belgium about sustainability, about the green rhetoric, right? Are there any interesting plans for Agoria uh, solar team? So, for instance, any documentary, any series maybe? Because we've seen indeed um, the, the Lightstone series that is on YouTube that got, I don't know how many millions of views. It's, it blew up. It's crazy. Um, but is there any, for example, plans of collaborating with a YouTuber? Or I think you have your own channel as well. Um, yeah, so, um, well, at first, of course, we try to uh, create a lot of media ourselves. Um, we have two guys on public relations who are working very hard to make sure that projects come out. But about certain documentaries uh, for Next Challenge, unfortunately those well, rumors we can't uh, confirm yet. All right, so it's um, okay. <laughs> All right. What are the different team building activities that you do within the team? Like, uh, I don't know if, if, if you can answer this, uh, because I suppose you have some people specifically dedicated for that job. Well, specifically on team buildings, um, it's rather, well, either my job or someone in a, in a team has a great idea, oh, we should do this. All right. Um, the past year has always been really hard to do team buildings. Uh, we're a team of 20, and that's never a number um, allowed to come together. But we try to split up the group and do things uh, that are allowed within the, the, the regulations. Um, there were times where we have to adapt and had this online team buildings. Um, and it's also, well, we're in close contact with our um, alumni. Um, so we try to organize these virtual solar drinks, as we call them, mm -hmm. to really keep in touch with each other, even though we can't see each other physically. Um, and then from time to time, um, in smaller groups, in smaller departments, there are groups that go, well, do very low effort uh, things like go basketball or go play basketball, um, just have a walk, or it's, it's really the small moments that do a lot of as well. All right. But yeah. that's until now. And in the future, um, while we're preparing the team for uh, a challenge, we do these things called race simulations. They're often organized by these uh, alumni. And they try to simulate the circumstances of a challenge and really test the team um, to the first. And that's actually the moments where you notice that the team um, grows closely together. All right. So you, you simulate the entire the entire process of going to, to, to these challenges, so the setup, maybe the, the testing. Yeah, and they'll even just announce, okay, this just happened, how are you going to respond? And then you need to see how, well, in the moment you could react. You said you're very, well, you're all trying to work with very tight deadlines, you're really trying to work efficiently. So how do you go about working towards a deadline? How do you get, like, how do you work efficiently and productively for a deadline? Yeah, deadlines, especially from my perspective, um, are really important. So you have these big milestones we're uh, pinpointing right now for the, for the rest of the project. 
and when you start as a new team you have you don't you don't really have a grasp on what the time frame for the whole project is and you just rely on uh, this information from previous teams say oh hey, the, the design period is until uh, the first of january um well for the aer aerodynamic body and you follow these uh, milestones but as the project uh, progresses you really have to count back from your challenge saying we need this uh, many weeks for testing time um, and then this many weeks for actually mechanical testing time to make sure you can start riding at, uh, at a high speed and you, you start counting backward and as soon as you do this exercise you notice that you're always going to have time short and you're going to look at okay this testing time might need a bit less time and as soon as you, you understand this, you know that every time you work a bit later today, it's going to save you time right before the challenge. And you notice that this time right before the challenge, one day can make a difference. Right. So this is how you maintain pressure, let's say, uh, to, to, yeah. to work on a deadline. And what do you do, for instance, if you fall behind uh, on a deadline? What, like, what is the approach that you take as a team? Um, well, we're always working on different projects um, and each project takes up a lot of time from several team members and sometimes when you're running a bit late on one project uh, at a certain moment you're going to have to say to, to stop the project and perhaps put it on long run and see perhaps if there is any time left in the future. That's one way of trying to shorten a uh, time frame. Others is just cutting certain corners. I mean. If, if you would do this project on four years, you could probably create a perfect solar car um, with the current regulations. But that's just time you don't have. And that's why there's this team dynamic and being able to work together and, and take fast decisions is such important as well to try to hold project. Mm, all right, all right. How many competitions do you go to per year? Or is there any, is it one, usually one competition per year, two per year? Yeah, so usually you create um, or you build up your team to participate in one big challenge. Uh, but there's also always the European Solar Challenge, um, which, well, has been founded with the mentality of being able to give uh, new teams uh, a new experience. Because mm -hmm. um, that's such a challenge, you really notice how important, well, things like team dynamics, but procedures, um, operations, all these things really are, and how much time and effort should go into them preparing for another international sort of challenge. And you usually, you, you then go with the same car to both um, competitions or you would? Yeah, so for the European Solar Challenge, we often use um, a car of previous team because obviously our, uh, our car is still in uh, the design phase. All right. Uh, but that does mean that each solar car participates in multiple challenges. And then you have these, uh, well, let's say extra challenges um, like the one in Chile. Um, which of course are just, uh, well, Shilly was just some alumni who were eager to do another challenge. And it's, it's also uh, because of this challenge that we created this new team which optimizes uh, the solar car to say uh, that at least every year we do one challenge. All right. Okay, nice. So finally, what, so suppose I want to be, a rec well, suppose I want to, to, be, to go into a Goria solar team. My first question would be, well, do I need to speak Flemish or are internationals also allowed to, or not internationals, but are English speaking students also, um, they, can they be a part of your team? Yeah, they should really um, recruit because of course we're trying to become the, the best team or stay the best team in the world um, and you, you can be a picker right then. Um, we noticed often that there are a lot of Dutch speaking students in the teams 
but it has happened in the past that there are uh, international students as well. And so how do you deal with this? Is there ever like a language barrier uh, between, the, between, uh, between well, to, both? Or? To be fair, in my team, uh, we only have Dutch-speaking uh, people. All right. So I, I wouldn't really have any experience um, if this should prove a problem. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that um, English-speaking students don't join? Well, I'm not sure. Um, perhaps it's because they assume it's only Dutch-speaking, um, but I, I wouldn't really know what's holding them back. Um, each year we see some people recruiting, but it, it's always, well, a big difference in, in the quantity. All right. I've also seen that you have, you propose some master theses for, uh, for students that they can do in their master and also contribute in some way to, to the team. So, like, are, are they any help per se? Or can, you be, can your work be valued if you do your, your, your master thesis uh, at Agoria? Certainly, and um, we often use these theses and these are all, uh, often projects which, again, we don't have time uh, to investigate and they're often so specific that you can't put too much effort into it. But as of now, and, and even in the, the last car, which uh, won the World Solar Challenge, there are technologies present that were researched in such theses. All right. How much impact can I have as an individual in, in the team? Since you're 20 people, so it, it's, I suppose it's uh, a bit harder maybe with such a big team. Well, each person in the team has its own uh, function. And you f really focus on this function and try to optimize the car in every bit. Because in the end, especially with competitors like um, those teams in the Netherlands, but also from Germany or from Michigan in America, it's really every second that you can uh, arrive earlier that counts. So even if you, you can optimize the car for, let's say, 10 minutes, those 10 minutes might actually make the difference. Um, you have people on uh, marketing as well trying to well, bring out a project which is also very important so that everyone, well, on one hand, can look back on the project and see all these images. Um, but we actually reach our goals as an organization as well to well, promote the sustainability and well, to organize this event for uh, the scholars. You have people on um, batteries and every single piece of technology is optimized by one member. And even though we're a team of 20 people, each a uh, member of the team has a big impact in the, in the final result. All right, so that's how you manage to, to value each, each, yeah, each member's uh, input in a way. Has Agoria seen any increase in the number of members that apply for it? And actually a, a question as well that's additional to that is how do you, or what is the selection process? How do you decide who comes in and who does not? Um, We've seen a slight increase, but we've noticed that over the years there's also always been a big interest in the solar team. Um, for myself as well, it's of course a very interesting project. Um, and while the selection process, we, we have certain interviews um, to test well the motivation of uh, everyone, but also the technical skills for the different positions they're applying. Because um, it's really important in the end, we're trying to uh, remain world champion, it's, it's really important to get the best people in every position. Uh, but things like team dynamics is also very important. So we really try to make this fit of different characters, uh, characteristics in the team. Um, see that uh, the head of a certain department fits the people in that department. So it's like a very big puzzle, uh, All right. which includes a lot of meetings. All right. And um, what I wanted to ask as well is, um, are all of your members full-time working on this or 
can I work, for example, part-time uh, at Agoria? No, the, the solar team um, as a project is really uh, even more than full-time. So for me, myself, uh, my thesis, I, I postponed the year, uh, being able to focus fully on the solar team. And you often put 70, 80 hours a week in this project. Uh, you often uh, hear this, that after the solar team, your friends rediscover your life. Wow. Uh, because you're putting so much time into it. Yeah, I, I don't know, like, you, you had, um, well, Agoria Solar Team had a takeover on Instagram, exactly how I'm, I'm having now for my faculty, and there was, like, one question, which was, like, how many pizzas do you think we ate in the past year or something? And the number was huge, I mean, it was a few hundreds for sure, I mean, it was, yeah. So yeah, just... that's, that's maybe uh, an aspect we're not too <laughs> proud of, but uh, if you're working so late and at a certain hour, you realize, oh, I haven't at anything i forgot to eat i'm working so hard yeah and then you just shout shout around who wants pizza and you'll you'll get a few hands up ah but honest i mean it's it's really remarkable how much effort you're putting in and and how motivated everybody is in general uh which is nice and i think the the best aspect is really working in this team um with everyone having the same goal and the same motivation and it's not like a group project where someone wants to put a little bit less effort in everyone really gives their 100 uh, percent if a project isn't done by eight o'clock there's no one who's gonna leave uh, you keep working until it's finished the next day you're you're there again and that's fantastic because you never have this discussion about should we do this or not no it's really a discussion can we do it and if we can you, you can be sure that we're gonna do it all right well, unfortunately, we're out of time as well with you, but I, I, I wish we had more time, honestly. I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting, and I'm, I'm very glad for you uh, to have come here. Um, thanks so much for coming. And, um, You're yeah. welcome. So, anyways, for all of the listeners that are listening right now, the next song, because we're going to be going on a little break, the next song will be called Brother by Bunja. So uh, enjoy, and we'll be right back.
song that you just heard is called Brother by Banja and I hope you guys really enjoyed it because well I discovered it a few weeks ago and I said you know why not let me share it it's a good song so yeah in any case um, well this is I think a very good moment to introduce our last guest and well welcome Sebastian to the show good afternoon thank you yeah thanks so much for coming um, so Sebastian is part of Team Circley and I think I will let him do an introduction of who he is and what the team is all about, essentially. Yeah, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for the invitation, for being here. And uh, yeah, maybe good idea, good idea to start off with a short introduction to our team. So we are a new team, uh, a new student team from the postgraduate tech event, Tech Innovations and Ventures and Teams. And we were founded at the beginning of this year. And our team, Circuly, stands for Circular Engineering, Circular Economy. So we're really a student team focused on circular economy projects, innovative projects, and uh, at the very moment we're a very small team, but we're very ambitious, very very ambitious to grow through next years and to become a very a good team and a larger team. So you said you're a startup team. Uh, so you started this year, or we started this year in the month of September. Uh, in fact, um, we were founded uh, because there was an EIT project. EIT stands for the European Institute of Innovation and Technology um, and the K-Level was approached as a specific partner in, in a consortium of many other partners and that's why the K-Level thought of okay maybe we can start a student team um, because it's a very good opportunity and uh, yeah that's a bit the context how we were founded and uh, yeah how things are going. Am I wrong in saying that I saw something that might have been you called Robin Food? That's right. Robin Food was if is the EIT project. So um, let me get let me give a bit of a context. So uh, Robin Food was an EIT an EIT project. Uh, the call was given by EIT, and it's a the, the, the Robin Food was in fact a partnership between several partners. 
both national partners, Belgian partners, among which, for example, Ricolto, uh, the former Vredes Eilanden, uh, Colruyt Group, um, and uh, Envie and Riso, and also some international partners like uh, Eroski, a big retail chain in Spain, um, the Verspillingsrubriek in Holland, and uh, Start Life, and also Robin Good in Spain. So it's a very international consortium. Robin Good. Robin Good, yeah. All right, all right. So, yeah, it's a bit ambiguous, <laughs> but yeah. But uh, the goal of that consortium was really to, to uh, valorize leftovers, food leftovers, into new products. And every country had the goal, the objective, to, to make one new product based on uh, the leftovers. Because due to the COVID crisis, there were many leftovers, especially potatoes, for example, but very much vegetables which were uh, in, in surplus due to the distortions in the supply chain. And the, the goal for each country was to produce a new product. And uh, that's always a bit our task to support that new product development. All right. So coming back to the team itself, how mm -hmm. many are you in the team? For the moment, we're with two people. All right. Uh, it's me, a business engineer, a graduate business engineer, and uh, a colleague of mine, which is, which is a food engineer. So uh, there's a very complementary, very complementary profiles. Yeah. All right. So I mean, this means that obviously there's a lot to, of room to grow if uh, if you get other people, for example. What I mean is that there is room for people to grow a lot being part of your team. Yeah, of since course. they're part of such a, a fresh startup. Of course, there's a lot to discover, many opportunities. Yeah. For example, also if you're very small scale like we, there are many learning opportunities. Like you can have a very personal experience, a very personal contact with all the companies, with your coach. So indeed, very many opportunities to grow and to explore. So you're looking to enlarge your team. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of students are you looking for? So we are a new team and especially focusing on, for example, business engineers with a commercial background, but also industrial engineers, uh, more specifically, for example, industrial engineers in the food industry, but also bioengineers. Of course, all other profiles are welcome, but we, we're really striving towards an interdisciplinary team, a multidisciplinary team of, of complementary profiles. And is your team only Dutch-speaking or can also English-speaking students join? My colleague is from uh, Ecuador, uh, so she's speaking English. Um, so uh, it's not a prerequisite to, to speak Dutch. All right. So my next question is, how, how does Circly, or how do the ambi ambitions of Circly help to add value to a community? You mean like community, like the city community or the community at large? or At large, yeah. So how does it add value to our society? I think from two specific viewpoints. Uh, first of all, we're a circular economy team. We're focused on circular economy projects. We want to valorize uh, waste streams, which would otherwise go waste. So first of all, we're contributing a lot, stimulating a lot to circular economy. Um, the, the, the transition towards the circular economy is very important. And I think very many steps to take to evolve towards such a society. At the, one, at the other hand, we've also been working with many social organizations, NGOs, like for example, Ricolto, to also think like, okay, how can we connect the dots? At the one hand, we know that there are many surpluses of foods, but also many people who are food insecure. How can we connect both and how can we go towards a resilient food system, which connects both and which, which gives the surpluses to the people who are very needy of foods? All right. I guess you're placed in the perfect country for that, right? I mean, I think Belgium or in general, Western Europe is all about this green rhetoric, about sustainability and... Yeah, indeed, the SDGs, for example, uh, in general, the what, what Sustainability Development Goals, oh, all right. set by the United Nations, um, very important goals uh, for very many companies. So I think, yeah, the climate is ideal to, to launch such projects. Everybody is working towards such a new society. Societal change is very important. So yeah, I think in an ideal timing and an ideal climate, yeah.
And so you're working about obviously reusing waste and in mm-hmm. certain ways. Where does this waste come from? Yeah. This year specifically, we were uh, present in the food industry. So um, we worked, for example, with auctions. Auctions very often have food surpluses, uh, which cannot be sold because, for example, of minor quality. And, for example, farmers, for example, have invested a lot. But due to, for example, demand misfits or, for example, due to bad weather, there are, for example, some, some, some wonky foods or, for example, surpluses of foods. And uh, not, they cannot be sold. They do, they do not get sold. And what do you mean by auctions? Auctions, for example, like Belochta, or for example, the very large organizations which distribute the foods. All right. Like they're an intermediate uh, organization. They, the farmers are connected to the auctions. Uh, retail partners, for example, are also connected to the auctions. And it's a place where the food gets distributed, the, the, the vegetables and the fruits. Uh, this waste, so it comes from consumers. Does it also come from producers? I mean, we've seen, for instance, it's an analogy, let's say, of pollution, right? Mm-hmm. So you have these rice fields that mm-hmm. uh, that grow in very wet environments mm-hmm. and they emit a lot of methane. Um, so does also a lot of food wastage come from producers? I think a very good question because that's also something we discovered last month. Initially in the project, we were, yeah, we were, with, we were with different partners and every partner had a bit his approach. Like, for example, in, in Belgium, we were mostly looking at the, the, the auctions, for example, for the surpluses. But for example, in the, in the Netherlands, the companies were using, for example, the, 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 how should I say it, the leftovers which arise in the production chain. For example, you have some kind of big company, which is a processor of vegetables. And you can, for example, cut tomatoes. But specific parts of the tomatoes go as waste, go waste. For example, if you make hamburgers, for example, if you're processing vegetables for hamburgers, tomatoes, the small, the, 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 the ends of the tomatoes goes often, goes often to waste. And the companies in the Netherlands, for example, use these parts to valorize instead of the, the surpluses. And that gives, that gives other benefits and also a totally different approach. So indeed, I think the both are possible. Okay, that, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, indeed, I've never thought of, well, I've always thought it would be, be wasting, for example, about mm-hmm. these, these tomato parts, but uh, interesting, interesting. And so I suppose you're working on similar things, right? Similar kind of ways of reusing these kind of... Yeah, indeed, like in the EID project in Belgium specifically, we were, uh, yeah, first of all, it's very important if you develop a new product, there should be a demand for the product. So you should use some methods like uh, design thinking, for example, innovative approaches to, to determine what is the need in the market. Because you can produce a product based on the vegetables, which are, for example, surpluses, but if there is no demand for the product, it's of no use because then you're creating uh, waste, in fact. So the first step we did is like at Kohlreuth, helping it with focus groups in the market research to determine what is the demand, hey, what products can satisfy the demands. And then we satisfied, for example, okay, maybe uh, a vegetable, uh, uh, vegetarian pasta sauce, for example, if there's a demand for such a product, we didn't have a product yet like that. Maybe we can create that product based on the leftovers we have available. And then everything begins. Then you look at the resources, the capabilities, and you start your production chain and stuff like that. So now we have developed a vegetable, uh, vegetarian bolognese sauce. Uh, yeah, and we, we're dealing with that. Wow, and so you've done it fully from, from this recycled waste, in a way? From, from the auctions, like the, the, the auctions. surpluses. We, uh, we, we took into account what surpluses are available. Some vegetables, for example, a whole year in surplus. And then we start thinking, okay, how can we... Because it, it's, it makes sometimes the supply chain very difficult because you have to take into account the availability of the leftovers. Yeah, that, that's the way uh, how it's done. All right. And 
Can you describe the process of coming up with something like this kind of vegetarian bolognese that you were talking about, yeah. starting from the waste? I think it's very uh, important to say that we do not really start from the waste. Like we know there's a waste problem, but also if you're going to create a new product, it's very important to first, like I said, determine the market demand. To know, okay, what product can we develop? And where is it, for what product is a demand? And then you use some, some, some known techniques, like for example, design thinking and stuff like that, to determine, okay, what, what demand is there and how can we react to that demand? And then if you know, okay, for example, the, 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 there is a demand for such a product, like for example, a, a vegetarian bolognese sauce, for example, you're going to think, okay, what's the price sensitivity? In what price category are we, for example, playing? So it's also a lot of commercial thinking. And then you try to connect the dots, like, okay, you have your production capabilities, we have a producer uh, who's in close contact with, for example, the auctions. Is it possible to create this product based on, on, on the leftovers, based on what we know of the leftovers? And then we verify, okay, it's possible. And then we go, okay, then we make a prototype, uh, we test a prototype, and then we say, okay, can we produce it at a large scale? And that's how we proceed. And how do you test the prototype? Do you just give out free samples like we see in the, in the stores? or No, it, it depends, because we, we start very low scale, like first produce uh, a small amount of prototypes, and then we have some buyers, for example, from the retail companies who pass by and who test the prototype at a small scale. If they then are approved, you can also uh, put them to you can also introduce them, for example, to focus groups, to people you, you gather and uh, to, 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 to get their opinion. And if it's then approved, you can roll that at a very large scale. Uh, but, but be aware that the taste will be different when you produce it at a large scale compared to the prototype. So there are different testing phases. And also very important, we are a project, there's a subsidy involved, so th things should go fast. Yeah. So sometimes it's a bit of a hurry and an accelerated process. Yeah, and I suppose it's quite tricky as well. I mean, uh, I mean, at the end, we're talking about food, right? So it has yeah. to be very well tested, very well... You need to make sure that it's not going to, to, to induce any, you know, <laughs> anything. Yeah, right? there are some quality checks, like yeah. three months of quality checks. The quality procedure is very heavy, uh, something I wasn't aware of in the beginning, but you can, you can have a prototype, for example, and a product which is approved. But then you have the quality process which comes in and takes a long time. So it takes, for example, three months, I think, to get the product through the quality process. So all, all parameters which are very important and which you should take into account. All right. So, so you're talking about this uh, vegetarian bolognese sauce. Yeah. Um, I suppose this is the first project that you have, right? We also have a second product project oh, right, right now. So that was the first project indeed. So it's uh, that quick? You, you finished it that quick? During February. Uh, but right. like I said, it, it already started in July and we came in during the end of August. Uh, but like I said, it was a, an innovation project. We have subsidies for a limited amount of time. So it's a bit challenging as well. But it also makes it very interesting to see how people react and how, how you can do the coordination in such a short amount of time. But of course, it brings some challenges. And now we're working on some kind of uh, project which continues on the EIT project. Right. Like, um, again, focus on the, the valorization of waste but more uh, in Leuven-based. Like we have some, some retail partners, for example, some, some farmers who have leftovers, and now we're trying to uh, convert these leftovers again into soups and trying to distribute these soups at schools. So a totally different uh, channel, sales channel, but also very interesting. So again, starting from scratch, uh, contacting different partners, forming a consortium, and in a limited amount of time, uh, trying to, to get, a partner get partnerships done uh, and uh, yeah, Start start a project. All right. Yeah, sounds sounds really nice. 
And um, actually regarding this, this uh, well, I had a question regarding the mm -hmm. practicality of the project yeah. itself. Um, so you're saying you develop all of these products. You mentioned indeed that you distributed in high schools or you have the idea of doing yeah. it. Primary schools. In primary schools. Yeah. You already do it or you have the idea of doing it? We tested it. I mean, like we were, we're going to test it. We had some interviews with the, with the schools. Uh, we have some candidate schools who want to have a test phase. Um, so we plan to set up a test phase to test it really small to see is it possible, especially the circular aspect. Like again, uh, we have farmers with leftovers, but is it constant? And how can we do it in a, in a feasible way? We're convinced that it can be done in a feasible way, but that's why also we will test it and see, okay, these are the points at which we can improve. Um, so yeah, that's how we're going to do it. Very lean, very small scale. And then with the objective to, to scale up in the future. And are people very, are people open to the idea of, for example, are farmers very open to the idea of you using their waste? I mean, of course, of course, the worst, the word waste is a bit as a negative connotation. We, we rather would like to speak about of, of safe vegetables right. instead of waste. But indeed, because they invest also much time and, and money in, in harvesting these, these vegetables. So it, in fact, it's, it's money which you throw, throw away after all. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a unique opportunity for, for both the producers as the consumers. I think it benefits all the society. Are you collaborating with any research institutes or what kind of support are you getting right yeah. now? For, from so for now, for example, in the first semester, we worked mostly with College Group, for example, retail partners, producing partners, which had already the, the experience with working uh, with waste, uh, safe vegetables, and also with EIT Foods. Um, and we also have a good coach from the KU Leuve, uh, a teacher, a professor in, a food, in the food industry. So he knows also lots about the food industry and stuff like that. And this, in addition, in the first semester, we also were coached by uh, an agrotech incubator. Um, so we had lots of experience from, from experienced people. Um, and now we're using that experience, relying on that experience to continue with the new project. And we also have partners like Ricolto now, Belorta. Uh, with, with whom we are yeah, talking and, yeah. and experiencing. Yeah. Is the larger vision of, of, of Team Circle to develop, for example, products that will be one day sold in supermarkets or in... in I think that, that might be the objective, like, yeah. um, to, to do that. Of course, it's challenging because we're very, very limited in time. Yeah. And it also depends, for example, on the partnerships we have. Like, I think we had partnerships with big retailers uh, in the first semester, but even then, it's very challenging because of the, first of all, of the context. It's something new, it's some kind of innovative because you work with leftovers. Um, and if you work in innovation, chances are big that you fail. Yeah. So it's the objective and it should be the, the objective to have it at the end. It's, ta it's something tangible, something which you can sell. But be aware that it's very difficult, uh, specifically working with leftovers. So it is a challenge. So often, yeah, you, f you, you, you will fail when, when doing that. But the objective is there, yeah. And how, regarding, for example, the economical aspect of it, mm -hmm. um, how does it how does it compare, for example, with uh, these brands that are already in supermarkets? Is it way, way more expensive, or is it similar pricing? It's more expensive because I think people often have the the thought that working with waste should be very, very cheap yeah. because you have cheap ingredients. But in fact, if you produce a product, the main costs are not the uh, the ingredients because food costs are already really low so you do not get a real surplus when working with for example uh, food waste okay in addition uh, the main bottleneck is also uh, to, to, to have a constant supply chain because as we know surpluses will only arise in specific months 
and you need to find some way to offer a constant product range. So it, it, it requires an innovative approach, like for example, um, freezing the product, freezing the vegetables or heating it very much so that you can store it a bit longer. But these approaches also require costs. So in the end, the project, the product will be, 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 expensive, be uh, more expensive than, than the regular products. And that makes it also a challenge. And so you've mentioned all these costs. What would be the most important cost out of all of these phases that a product goes through? Logistic costs are a very, for example, a very high cost because if you're going to source the vegetables, for example, um, you need to be sure that you, you have a constant supply and this can be sourced from different places. So the logistic costs will be very important. But also, for example, I think of the, the production process. If you, for example, are going to produce a soup from, from leftover vegetables, it can be that you have to produce a bit more during the months in which the, the vegetables are in, in surplus. But then you need to find a way in which you can store the soup and then you have to heat the soup to make, it, to make sure that you can store it longer. So there are these things, these production processes, which makes it all, which makes it also very, yeah, a bit exp more expensive. Yeah, I mean, wow, yeah. Now that you say it, indeed, it, it sounds like a lot, but uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you have to look at it that way. Huh? But it's interesting to to think about. It's yeah. also some some kind of strategic thinking, and it uh, it's a bit out of the box thinking, and it's it's only the process itself is is, is very interesting. All right. Well, Sebastian, thank you very much for, for, for coming on the show. Huh? Glad um, I could be here. Yeah, Yeah, I really wish we would have more time. I mean, I said that with all the guests, but it's <laughs> true. I mean, honestly, it's you have so much to talk about in general. Yeah, of course. And time flies. Yeah, time flies. So uh, again, thanks so much for coming. And um, Thank you. And unfortunately, this is all that we've got for you today. So yeah, it's been such an incredible experience today, honestly, to meet all of these bright and incredible people. Um, so, anyways, that is all from me. You'll be joined next week by my colleague Dashan, uh, who will be continuing his series about philosophy. And until then, see you when I see you, and remember, stay curious. The next song that you're going to hear will be Waiting for the World to Fall by Jars of Clay. See you guys. I'm afraid it's been too long I Try to find the reasons why I let my world close in around A smaller patch of fading sky But now I'm crawling beyond the walls To where I've never been And it's still winter in my wonderland I'm waiting for the world to fall I'm waiting for the scene Change. I'm waiting when the car